In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 227. July Books. I'm recording them actually on time, even though by the time this gets released, it won't be as on time, but still. <laughs> Holy crap, we're recording before the July Books episode in the month of July. I know. It's, <laughs> we still have like five or six days in July left when we're doing this. <laughs> okay, so the way this works, guys, is uh, we've, we're back up to four titles now. Um, so I am covering Green Lantern number 42. Mark is taking Green Lantern Lost Army number two. Uh, I am taking Green Lantern and Star Trek number one, and then Mark is taking Sinestro number 13. Uh, no feed, listener feedback this episode. Guys, send us emails or voicemails. We want to hear from you. Uh, and, uh, then, uh, that'll be it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no breaks in between. So, uh, we'll just, uh, get started. All right, you ready? Sounds like a plan. All right. Green Lantern number 42, The Medusa Effect. Uh, we, uh, uh, the, the creative team on this bad boy is writer Robert Venditti, penciler Billy Tan, inkers Mark Irwin, Billy Tan, and Scott Hanna, colorist Tony Avina, letterer Dave Sharp, cover by Billy Tan, Alex Sinclair, the Teen Titans Go Variant cover by Jorge Corona, uh, Corona, okay. Uh, assistant editor Andrew Marino and group editor Eddie Berganza. So we open um, uh, accelerating through space sector 3068 at a rate beyond human experience. Uh, in basically Hal's ship. Uh, he's flying uh, towards Kellick. Um, if I'm even saying that right, because uh, I'm not on a, the right page. Um and uh, he's taking uh, Trapper to uh, face justice um, for uh, oh, this guy. What was his name? I'm, I'm horrible at the names. So, Kel- yes, Kellett. No. Ket- Ketleth? That's that's the name of the planet. Yes, Ketleth. Ketleth. There you go. And Virgo is the name of the guy from Ketleth that uh, is this guy, Trapper's going to face justice. So, anyways, <clears throat> here we go. So, the... The uh, the ship tells Hal that the engine temperatures are rising. Uh, Hal's like, hey, bugger off. Um, the Trapper's talking shit. And this is going to be super condensed because, really, I'm just going to tell you what happens, not necessarily what everybody's saying. Um, you know, Trapper's talking shit, and then this moment Hal says, you sure you want to be on the other side of the bars with me? Uh, Trapper shuts up. They arrive at uh, Ketleth. And Ketleth is turned to stone. The people, the cities, everything is nothing but a lifeless hunk of rock. Uh, Hal says it's like an empty hole in space. 
uh, Virgo is obviously grief stricken so much so and and so and so so much shock that he throws up. Um, the computer of the, the the computer of the ship gives a warning. Uh, Darlene is the name of the, the computer or the ship doesn't matter. Um, she says, "Hey, uh, Hal," and he's like, "Not now." And she's like, "Yes, now." Uh, it turns out Trapper's crew has come to you know get rescue Trapper. Um, uh, Vir- uh, Virgo thinks that this they're the ones who did this to his planet. They're not because. They were. They don't have that kind of firepower, and they were just kind of laying in wait because they knew where Hal was going to be taking Trapper. Um, Hal steps out and says, "I'm going to give you one chance to get the hell out of here. Ditch your boss and leave." They start firing at him. He says, "All right, well now we'll try it the easy way," which is him just beating everybody up with really no thought. He takes. Uh, he creates a construct asteroid field and. You know, it pummels the crap out of all these ships. In the meantime, we see some a couple of actual stones. Well, one actual stone. Uh, probably it's just the just it's the size of a little smaller than Hal's ear, and as a matter of fact, goes right past his ear, like an inch past his ear, and heads towards the ships. Hal gets pissed off uh, and creates a massive asteroid about the size of a small moon that's no moon uh, and, <laughs> well, and, we should do uh, that every episode from now on <laughs> we've been, since we've been doing it fairly often he uh, throttles it back uh because he realizes that this uh, is the gauntlet yet again reaching into his mind and forming things uh without his uh you know the, the filter of his conscience um so he says dial it back nobody dies it shatters into a bunch of smaller asteroids it's the side of the ship. Um, they uh, they decide where they're going to get the hell out of there, but before they do, that little pebble hits the side of the ship and turns the entire ship and its inhabitants to stone. Uh, the stone then bumps into one of the other ships next to it, and it's a domino effect to the ships next to it. They all immediately turn to stone. Trapper asks why the firing stops, what happened to his crew. Uh, he says uh, they're all they're over they're done. Uh, he releases Trapper from his cell. He holds him by the exit of the ship and says, "Look, do you think I can do that?" Uh, and then he tells Virgo, "You're the last person left of your planet. So not only are you the victim, you're the judge and jury." Um, Virgo threatens to kill him and then decides he's gonna place him in his service until I deem your amends have been made. Uh, Hal says, well, good, uh, I'm glad you got a conscience, you're honorable, you represent your people well. Um, and then he kind of explains things to Trapper, says, I want answers. And then on the last page, a planet whose name no longer matters, a tomb filled with the remains of the already forgotten. Rise, you're dead, listen to me. I said rise. Everywhere I go, why? Why can't I make them rise? And it's black hand. Presumably on on an alien planet or a floating chunk of the source wall. Must be a planet, Uh, based on this setup. Well, yeah, this is a planet who's no longer... uh, It says, next, back against the wall. And is that just his power on his arms, or is his arms kind of half stone? Well, his arms are half stone because that's what happened the last time we saw him in uh, Godhead. Remember, his arms started turning to stone. Yeah. Which is thus, which is thus his problem. Why he can't raise anything? But don't try and raise anything else on your body. 
Keep those hands to yourself. <laughs> Keep your hands off yourself. That's right. Uh, and then in the back, there's a cool ad for uh, with the creative talents behind uh, the Black Canary series. So that's cool, which is a pretty good series so far. Not 100% stellar, but definitely better than I thought it was. So what'd you think? It was pretty good. I, I mean, as we go through the rest of these books this month, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put it in perspective, at least personally, where I think it falls <laughs> with all of them. But it wasn't bad. It was – it certainly, I don't think, was the the most interesting book of the month. But there were some cool things in it. The splash page with Hal when he creates the asteroid field. Alderaan! That's kind of cool. He looks – that actually one of the few really good – like a – Few moments of Billy Tan drawing Hal looks really, really good. I thought uh, I like the fact that when uh, when Virgo grabs grabs Trapper and he starts getting pissed at him, it's almost, almost like almost like a defensive response, almost like a turtle. How Trapper's arms go inside. <laughs> That's which was kind of weird. I mean, but it was kind of interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, and the Black Hand thing is cool, because we knew we were going to see Black Hand anyway. So it was kind of good that he showed up at the end, since obviously, excuse me, obviously he plays a role in why everything is turning to stone to start with. Um, well, since his, his messing with the source walls kind of got the whole domino theory here. I definitely, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, the art is a little off in some places, but hey, at least we're in space. Uh, so the only, you know, human that Billy's drawing is, is Hal. Um, and Hal, you know, is kind of ragged and he's got the trench coat and everything. So it's because he's not necessarily in a skin tight Green Lantern uniform, you know, and clean cut. There's he, everything doesn't necessarily have to be exactly perfect. So I guess that's okay for for Billy's style, you know. Right. It's it, it's 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 not that we don't like Billy Tan as an artist overall. It's just there's certain things we don't like, and and I don't know. And it's clearly not an issue of his capabilities. It's more an issue of his style, I guess. When it comes to a human Earth person, um, it's kind of it's kind of the way I feel about. Um, uh, what was his name? The guy that was on Green Lantern for a while. Be more specific. When? D- Doug. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Monkey. Uh, Monkey's human faces always creep me out. Uh, and he was, but he was phenomenal at like creepy shit or alien stuff. Um, so, but you know, when you when you got to a, a human moment on Earth or whatever, or human close up, it was just kind of weird. Yeah, That's kind I mean, of the way I feel about Billy Tan. Yeah, I thought. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Monkey because Monkey's because I was thinking about this the other day. It's as because even though I feel more compelled to do this than you do because I tend to come across as anti Billy Tan more than. But again, it's 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 like you said. Part of it has to do with the style, and part of it has to do with unfortunately the, that he just he does not do Hal all that well. Which and if and if Hal if he was drawing a different book. And and Hal wasn't a star, then it would be okay. And the reason why Monkey came to mind is, is using it as an example. So I really liked I really liked Monkey. I mean, Jeff Johns had some really good artists all during his entire run, but they were doing a 
St. Walker solo book, I would not want Doug Monkey drawing that book because he drew, as far as I'm concerned, he drew a horrible St. Walker. He drew a he he drew an he drew a complete like the antithesis. He drew his St. Walker was completely opposite of how everybody else has really drawn St. Walker across the board, including Billy Tan. So if, I, so if they were doing a St. Walker book, I would choose Billy Tan in a heartbeat over Doug Monkey because he draws that main, he would draw the main character well or better. So it's really it does have to do with style and just has to do with everybody does some things better than than others, including some characters. And there are some parts, like you mentioned, there are some parts to this book where Hal's face actually looks. Again, it doesn't really look like Hal, but it but but it's because of the long hair, it's not going to look too much like Hal. But there are some clo- there are some looks on his face. That uh, you know, it's drawn pretty well. He might look more like Gambit than Hal, but but it's, but it's a but it, the face is drawn well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, it's just his right now his look it kind of works against against them too because he's got such a different by design such a different look that it's not going to be your classic Hal, so that doesn't help. But we know he when he draws human beings, especially they tend to be stiff a lot of times, especially in action poses. To be fair though, in this issue at least Hal and I think the trench coat helps. I think the trench coat actually helps him a great deal. That Hal does not come across as stiff. So I think that that kind of helps. The, the costume design, the redesign, I think, kind of helps uh, Billy Tam when he draws Hal right now. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I guess it's just a personal preference thing. Anything else? No. What's I mean, next issue should be interesting. Uh, I think I think that's the issue that based on. Solicits relic is supposed to show up, so that should be quite. So that should be interesting. It's like it's like relics everywhere. <laughs> Speaking of. Speaking of. All right, so we'll go directly into Green Lantern Lost Army Two, the Deuce. <laughs> um, with the very cool cover of the original Rage Lanterns, which shows the Green Lantern Corps as it is. John's members. You down with OPP? <laughs> Fighting, fighting the Rage Lanterns from Relic Universe with their, with their light staffs and everything. So we, I guess we begin with another uh, Marine flashback of John Stewart, which is kind of interesting. But again, they're talking. I think they're talking about. Um, I'm trying to more or less being careful about being set up, basically, because the place they find is a ghost town and how it could kind of be a trap. Which kind of thing? It's a trap. Uh we can't repel firepower of that magnitude. <laughs> which which is a nice natural segue to where we left them last, which was they were all fighting around the green and en- the excuse me, the red energy pyramid, which was the essential power battery of as as we saw before, of the in the relic universe. Basically the, this in particular was the red lantern. Seemingly just the red lantern's central power battery. And you know, John picking up on how much rage is coming off that thing, and guys, he's pointing out, you know, it's calling to me, it's calling to his red ring, and you know, two six is going, whatever it is, it isn't a power battery, and of course, Krona kind of like, Krona uh, being Krona, quickly disagrees and goes, well, well, you know, you you can use this thing to fuel your rings. And of course, that's kind of throwing people off. It's like it's red. How the how the hell is that going to work? And then John kind of realizes, kind of like using the you know the first couple of pages with his. Or marine flashback again that you know that I've seen something abandoned like this before and it's and it and it seems more like a kill zone and at that moment all you know the the rage lanterns 
of this universe come come zooming in to attack the Green Lanterns, and I kind of like this. But the but the Rage Lantern, but the crystal coming off him almost makes him look like a rabbit at this point, though they're clearly not. It's like light pirates. They lay siege to the emotional converter. Destroy them. <laughs> So now we find out, as if we didn't know before, that it basically it was these these Red Lanterns that were responsible for encasing and smothering the Green Lanterns that died. It or we found that had been killed and we found already dead in the first issue of this series. Uh, Two Six, of course, is still tasked with protecting Krona, and Krona, being Krona, just he, it's always amazing that all this all this shit's going down around Krona. He and he just sits there being so analytical. <laughs> It's like, they use emotion just as you do, except their light takes on solid crystalline form. It's like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> so, the uh, Green Lanterns and the Red Lanterns, they, they, you know, they continue to duke it out. We kind of get the first glimpse at, uh, besides Krona's, you know, his suit's ability to have high tech as far as on a scientific level, that his suit also has some... Uh, capabilities of its own, and he kind of almost, it looks like he, what would you say, he kind of uses a psionic attack on this Red Lantern? Yeah, basically. Uh, which kind of throws 2-6 off a little, but, uh, you know, guy, you know, guy, the guy is holding his own, but the, the Red, you know, the Red Lanterns kind of surround, surround John, and they start encasing him in the Red, you know, a Red Crystalline, as, you know, John's power level is down to 15%, you know, John breaks free, but his power level is already down to five. Uh, the, the Red Lanterns are going. To, you know, the thief has has expended his stolen light. He is unprotected. Strike him now! And John's kind of floating there, looking helpless. And of course, that's kind of a, part of that. Part of that is a setup, also because then Guy comes in and uses. You know, basically hits him with a green truck, which is kind of cool. And uh, Guy kind of makes a play on the fact that you know. Since John called him a Christmas lantern, it's kind of like a. <laughs> it's like you're kind of lucky that you made the good list this year, because of how a guy just saved John's. You know what? Uh, lantern's energy level continues to go down. They pretty much make the decision that even though this Reno, you know, it's a red, you know, it's a red power battery, but despite the fact that it's that's what it is, they have to trust the fact that it actually will work to power their rings, and John and Guy go. You know, go up to it, and they put their rings to it, and all of a sudden, as they start doing that, the the pyramid starts turning from red to green. The that freaks out the red lanterns are going. The light is corrupted. We must wake the overseers. They'll know what to do. Which is ne- <laughs> which is never a good sign. Number one is like when you hear we must wake the overseers. That's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, the f- the power battery, tur- you know, the power battery turns. To- I got a bad feeling. About <laughs> I got this. a bad feeling about this. John, John and Guy charge their rings up to two hundred percent, which, of course, some of these characters, these Green Lanterns, had never realized that their rings had could go up to two hundred percent before. They must not have really hung around St. Walker or Blue as yet. Some of these guys, you know, and John doesn't, you know, John doesn't quite understand what happened. It's like, you know, it's a cleaner, a, 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 char- a cleaner charge, a more powerful charge. And Krona's being Krona again. You know, it was red. It changed when your rings touched it. This pyramid seems to have adjusted to the color of your ring. It has keyed its output to the green emotional spectrum. And Guy's like, yeah, that's right. I knew it would do that. <laughs> so all the all the other green... 
the you know the the Red Lanterns kind of like all all of them fly off. Uh, John's little crew there, they all charge up their rings and they almost get like a high off of it, talk feeling how pure and how clean it is, you know. And and guys like you know something's familiar about all this staves pyramids we've heard about this before. <laughs> and Kilowog's like didn't like the sound of it then either. Um, you know, Krona, Krona is kind of like waxing poetic about he wishes he had more time to study this. <laughs> and John's like, John's like, get used to that disappointment, Krona. And, and Guy's like, yeah, trust me, there's plenty of it in store for you. And then kind of like, kind of like John reprimands Guy a little bit, even though seemingly based on the the dialogue balloon anyway. John kind of started it about you know you've got to be careful about you know what we kind of like what we tell Krona or hint to Krona about his future. Since I guess at this point they're still, they are still pretty much convinced that this is a Krona who hasn't really done all the crappy things he's going to do yet. Um, you know, and guys kind of like you know, there's a reason that Krona's here. You know, he's he's here the same as us, and it's better to keep him close until we figure it out. Either way, I made the oh, actually, excuse me, John's saying that you know about you know we got to keep him close, kind of like you know, keeping your friends close, your enemies closer, kind of thing. And and that's where Guy steps in and goes, whatever you say, boss, but mark my words, this is going to come back to bite us in the ass. And the lanterns, the lanterns fly off, and they and they encounter the cleaners again, which we encountered in the the uh, preview and in issue one. But this time, the cleaners do not attack them. Basically, the th- as they theorize, it's because now they're charged off the power from that universe, so they are no longer viewed as an anomaly or no longer viewed as an intruder. And of course, Krona's the one who kind of throws that out to, to everyone and says, because it's Krona, it's like, oh, this, you're using a native power source now. It's already like two issues, and you just want to like bitch slap Krona. <laughs> All right, Sheldon. Yeah, and, and, and you know it's going to get worse because because it's Krona, you know, and he's and so he's waxing poetic about that. You know, it's possible that the energy you're using now is masking your, you know, your original. You're fueled by regional energies, and you know, so you're less offensive to these creatures and. Arisia's like, so we've been accepted. And then, and then, you know, John's kind of listening to her, and all of a sudden we hear an interesting hypothesis, one I'd like to explore further. And then we see a very, a very young, younger and, and less, probably because he's still wearing his spacesuit, but by in, inherently by just glance, he looks a little less alien than we're used to seeing him because of his helmet and everything. And we see Relic with all his machinery showing up, and this is when we kind of get the Seemingly, we get the real explanation of what's going on. That it's not so. Mu- it's not just that the lost army has been sent back to Relic's universe. The reason why Relic's universe seemingly is functioning now is not because it's been re- reborn or because Relic. Now, this all could be tr- turn out to be true, mind you, either too. But it seems like the explanation we are given now, or it's hinted at, is because Relic's universe hasn't been destroyed yet. That they are lost in time, not just in another universe. They're also lost in time, which is probably that they are at a time before Relic in the universe ran out of their light and the universe was destroyed. So that ended... Sorry about that long-winded wrap-up, but that ended uh, issue two. Did you say the creative team? No, I didn't. But, uh, writer Cullen Bond, art and cover. Let's, let's assume it's Jesus, so it could be G- Jesus Sayers. Letterer Dave Sharp. Variant cover with Ben Oliver. Andrew Marino, assistant editor. Mike Cotton, editor, and Eddie Berganza, of course, is the group editor. And on the last page, there's an ad for uh, Cyborg, uh, number one, which I've read, and it was actually pretty good. Uh, and the art was by the incomparable Yvonne Hayes. So yep. 
Uh, I don't know if you've been reading any of those newer series that have been coming out, like Black Canary or Dr. Fate or Cyborg or anything. Dr. Fate's the only one that might interest me to pick up, but Cyborg as a character does little for me, so... Oh, the the art is definitely worth it. You know, download it digitally or something and put it on your Surface. It's definitely really cool looking. Um, and it, it's it's okay. It, it intrigued me enough to maybe I'll be curious to check out issue two. But that's not what we're here to talk about. So, um, I gotta say, normally something that would I would uh, right off the bat complain about is you notice how much negative space there is in this comic. As in, what What do you mean? You mean, like, Dead Space? Well, other than the characters themselves and occasional objects, like, for instance, the pyramid or the cleaners or the crystals that the uh, uh, Rage Lanterns are using, there is really literally no background. But maybe there's a reason for that. I mean, they're in space. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe but I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, we're going to find out there's more. I mean, I know what you're saying, and I agree with it, I think, but maybe, the, you know, depending when we... Depending as we find out how close we are, maybe to the beginning of the power drain or something, maybe that, or maybe there's a re- maybe there's a reason for it. There, besides just an artistic choice that we don't know about, there may not True, be. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just I'm just saying, although I am okay with there being this much negative space in terms of actual art, because let's face it, guys, the artist didn't draw all the stars uh, <laughs> in the background. Um, it was. As much as I notice it, it makes more sense in a Green Lantern comic when they're supposed to be in space. So, but I, I, I did want to point it out that it's there. Like, if you were to see these issues, uh, the original art at an artist table at a comic convention, you would not see any of the stars in the background, and you would much, obviously, much more notice the the art, uh, the the negative space on in this comic. That's all I'm saying. Um, but you know the places that there is actual art, I actually pretty you know enjoy it. And I think I think the colorist deserves a shout out here too, because um, there's a lot of shading on yes. these characters, which normally I don't particularly enjoy, but I do like it here because some some colorists go a little overboard with it, and this is. Just enough to where I'm not bothered by it, and it works pretty well. Like when uh, that uh, that panel with uh, John and Guy, and Guy's like, "What's the call, John?" Cronus says, "This pyramid can charge our rings. Doesn't matter that it's red." That part right there. Right. They're facing the uh, red lantern or the, the the red power pyramid, and so the shading is got a red hue to it and it's brighter because they're so close and facing the power pyramid so that's pretty cool but otherwise i mean i liked it uh i'm assuming the overseers are like their version of guardians maybe or maybe maybe it's because it's the red lanterns their their version of uh the inferior five is that what no what were they called the inversions the inversions there you go Maybe it's their version of the inversions. It could be. Um, one thing I did like, I really, as a concept, it actually kind of fits in a way. Even though I think we did see in Relics Universe, we certainly saw in Relics Universe, I believe that there were more than one. You know, they were different. We saw different power batteries or power pyramids. I think we were shown different colors. 
So I think it was implied that there's more, there's maybe more than one. But I do like the idea that may, that whether there's more than one or even whether there's uh, one for theoretically one for each core, I like the concept that they all can change color. Hmm. Because I think it, that feeds into the concept we were given about how basically once the once all the, the lightsmiths of Rilix world realized that the power was draining while they were fighting over it. Yeah. Because that part didn't kind of make sense. It's like, you know the power is draining, so why are you wasting your time fighting it? Because fighting, while you're fighting, you're, you know, you're draining it all the more. But if, but when you look at it from the point of view that if your if your side could take over the battery, then even though yes, the infinite you know the in, the infinite aspect of it has been has been disproven, and you know it's going to drain, but at least the light's going to stay your color longer, so you get to use your color longer. Yes. <laughs> so I kind of like the introduction of that. I think that was kind of I think that was kind of clever. We'll have to see what it really means, but the idea how that why their energy seems so much purer and cleaner. So there's, there's got to be a reason. They're got they have to be building towards an explanation towards why that's that is. And, um, Maybe the younger well because when Relic's universe ended, ours began supposedly. So maybe the energy was reborn in our universe as an older version. So maybe the the further you go back in time in terms of of the previous universe, it's a younger version of the power. And or less corrupted maybe somehow too. Yeah. Yeah yeah, I mean that that's that is certainly a possible explanation. I'm just I'll be just curious to see how they if they you know they who I'm sure it'll be Krona if anybody who hypothesizes why that's actually the case, but it'll be interesting just when they actually when it actually comes up for when somebody, you know, volunteers a theory as to why that energy has seemed so much different and so much you know, way it just almost like feels better. You can see the look on their faces, how you know almost like it's almost like it hesitates to say it, but it's almost like it's like a like a high or something they're getting off of using it just because it's just a, a much cleaner form of it and pure Part, pure drug almost that they're that they're using for the energy, so that'll be. And just like it'll be, it'll be curious to see. It'll also be curious to see when when Relic shows up, to see you know the interaction because obviously the fact that Relic, but but Relic's pretty old, so it'd be interesting to see you know how long Relic was actually around before the uh, you know the the draining of the universe and everything factored in, especially if Krona ends up having a role in it, you know. All right. Did you see the uh, Aresia variant cover of this? I think I have. I've, I'm zoning out, so describe it to me, and I'll tell you if I remember it. It's it's the one where she's got her uh, arms, or her her hands balled into fists, and she's lifting them up, uh, kind of next to her head, and she's looking up into the sky, and her skirt is kind of like billowing out. I probably have seen it, but it's still not ringing a bell. So I guess it's really I... cool looking. That's all I wanted to say. Um, I don't really have any have much else to say. Uh, I wish they'd kind of shit or get off the pot with the whole flashbacks to him being a marine thing. Yeah, I'll be on. I I will be honest. I it did serve a purpose, obviously related to the both technically both issues. It served a purpose, the first and the second. They did. Being fair, they did do a lot less of it in this issue. But I I wasn't. A well, they're 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 making a point that they. Are they're making a point there that they're also making in the narrative itself? So why make it twice? 
you know that, that's kind of that's kind of what I mean. If you're just using this flashback marine stuff to make a point of what's happening in the current action, then just tell us better what the hell's happening in the current action. Don't bother with the flashbacks. What I mean by shit or get off the pod is if this is a separate storyline that is going to become kind of relevant, then have something fucking happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I think I know certainly in the first issue why they did it. I'm, I'm, well, I started to say, I'm not a huge fan of it. I didn't really like it in the first issue too much. And I probably didn't bother me as much in the second issue because there was so much less of it. But yeah, I do, I don't think they, I don't think it's something they need to do in every issue going forward to make, to try to, because I see, what you're saying is, or implying is essentially correct, that they don't need to beat us over the head with the fact that yes, he's got, that, that what's going on now, you know, mirrors something that John's been through before in his, you know, in his marine experience, and yeah, we. So I, I agree. I, I kind of hope they do kind of, they do kind of like tone it back a tad. But, but I like, but it was good though. It was good. That, yeah, not bad. Yeah, the book is off. The book is off to a good start, and I certainly can say after, after. Comparing the first two issues of this to the first two issues when the you know the, in the post John's era on core, I certainly like. I'm much more intrigued and into lo- into Lost Army than I was with core. You know, at the same point. So I, when that relaunched under, with the under the Van Jensen label or, or guidance. So yeah, I think I'm ha- I'm happy with it so far. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to there being less negative space so I can kind of more see what the artist is capable of doing. Um. Star Trek Green Lantern? Star Trek Green Lantern. The Spectrum War! That's right. Alright, so the creative team here is written by Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, letters by Neil Kutaki, something like that, edits by by IDW Publishing's uh, Sarah Gatos, and uh, DC Entertainment's Jim Chadwick. Um, We open with uh, some black word balloons. This obviously means... uh, you know, Necron or, uh, you know, uh, Black Hand or, you know, somebody somebody of the Black Lantern persuasion on the planet Mogo before. And I'm going to read all these, actually. Run, little man, run. Like your ring, your rings follow like obedient servants, but they cannot save you, Ganthet. Now, this is Ganthet, a really old Ganthet. Uh, we're talking, uh, not that he wasn't really old before, but definitely older, balding even more. Uh, and really emaciated. Very frail. Uh, At the very least, he's very frail looking. Yes. Unless, unless that's that, to be fair, unless they just chose to, this is their interpretation of drawing a guardian this way. But yes, I agree with you, though. He looks like he's certainly been through the ringer. Right. Uh, now, every ring is following him, except for green, and of course, black and white. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the narrative continues. Mogo, the, the last Green Lantern, is dead. Uh, and he is on the planet Mogo, so it's just a, a, a wasteland. Mogo the Last Green Lantern is dead, a fitting location for your own demise, don't you think? Your fellow guardians are now ashes blowing across the cosmos. Give me the last rings. Watch me extinguish their light forever, and then you will die. And Ganthet says, you think you've won. And it says, I do, I have. And Ganthet says, this day, perhaps, but not forever. I am going somewhere you cannot follow. I go to preserve life in all its forms. That will be my victory. And it says, no, impossible. And Ganthet says, and you will never find me. And he kind of Phases out. <laughs> and then in another time, another universe, 
Captain's log, stardate 2262.67. The Enterprise is en route to Nodel 16, an unexplored system at the edge of the Alpha Quadrant on the galaxy's outermost ring, but we found something interesting along the way. So this is the Enterprise, and of course, Nodel 16 is a call, is a shout out to Martin Nodell and, uh, All American Comics number 16, the first appearance of Green Lantern. And, uh, we uh, were introduced to the crew of the Enterprise, uh, Kirk, Spock, uh, and and the crew. They come across a planet, which is, uh, they call it a rogue planet. Now, what a rogue planet is, is it's a world that was, as they say here, a world that was never trapped by a gravitational pull of the star. So there's no atmosphere, no organic life, so on and so forth. But we detected something on, on the, the surface that we need to investigate. So they beam down, and Spock immediately says something that a lot of Star Trek fans have uh, wondered in the past. Is it wise for both the captain and the first officer to leave the ship on what, by all indications, is a routine scouting mission? <laughs> uh, so uh, they, uh, they go and investigate, and they come across the corpse of Ganthet. Uh, surrounded on by him is the rings that he took with him. Uh, they they you know pick up the the, the they take uh, Ganthet's skeleton and in the rings um, and uh, they take it back up to the Enterprise. Uh, the skeleton is in the sick bay and <laughs> Bones uh, says, "Well, he's dead, Jim." <laughs> <laughs> Has been for a while. Uh, and evidently, he's a new species. Uh, uh, Kirk asks uh, Mr. Scott about the rings. He says, yeah, we found something. You know, they seem to be an con- energy, energy conduit. Uh, well, we don't know what kind of energy. We're going to you know, try bathing them in a tachyon field, see if that does anything. All right, we'll keep an eye on it and let me know. They do that, and suddenly they start lighting up. Now, this, of course, is after Kirk has left the room. They start lighting up. Uh, in a brilliant glow of color and, uh, spa, uh, uh, Scotty and I don't know what is this little creature is, um, you know, are like, ooh, <laughs> which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, Sulu and, uh, oh, what is her name? Ahura. Ahura, there we go. Uh, let, uh, Kirk know that, uh, there's a ship approaching them. We're being hailed in Klingon. Uh, Kirk is hailed, and he says uh, his name is General Chang. This is a Klingon. You know, uh, it's my honor to bring you to justice. Uh, meanwhile, Scotty and then we're like, turn off the power. And um, uh, Kirk says I'm flattered by attention, General, but everything I've done in the past was only to ensure the safety of the Federation, not harm the Klingon Empire. Uh, the general says, you know, you never harm us. It's beyond you, but you insulted us and I'm going to take you and taking you back to Kronos and chains and your ship with you. Scotty pipes up as about We got a problem. And Kirk's like, it's not a good time, but Scotty's like, I don't give a damn. <laughs> the artifacts, their energy is, uh, increasing exponentially, uh, exponentially. And then boom, um, there's an explosion in engineering and the rings go out into space. Technically the red, the orange and the yellow ring go flying out of the Enterprise, 
and the blue, violet, and uh, indigo ones go flying through the Enterprise, like through the, the ship itself, searching for bears. Uh, they're trying to hail Scotty to make sure he's okay. Uh, Klingons say they're going to board the ship after they cripple it, you know, destroy it. Uh, and uh, Sulu says the power is coming back online, shields at full strength, but if these readings are right, the power is coming from outside the ship. And the Enterprise is bathed in green light. Uh, and uh, Uhura is trying to pinpoint the, pinpoint the source. The rings go, media, and meanwhile, flying uh, all over the place. Uh, one of them goes to uh, the sick bay. Two of them go to the bridge. The yellow one goes to the Klingon ship. And we see that Chang of Kronos is chosen by the yellow ring. Uh, Pavel Chekhov of Earth is chosen by the uh, uh, blue ring. Uh, uh, Uhura is chosen by the Violet Ring, and McCoy is chosen by uh, the Indigo Ring. Uh, out of here, of course, we don't see anything about the red or the orange just yet. The rings go on their fingers. They're like they're reacting, obviously, like what's happening? Oh my God! Sulu says we got a visual on the power source, and then Kirk goes, "Is is is that a?" And then uh, Scott uh, uh, Spock goes, "Indeed, Captain. It appears to be a most unusual human." And it's Hal Jordan, and he says, nice ship. Why is my friend Skeleton on board? <laughs> and to be continued. It does, does, is Hal older here? Or is this just the art? I think it's just the art. I don't, yeah. I, it's hard to tell, because again, we don't know the t- we don't know, I don't know if we're ever gonna know, because since this is kinda almost like an, El- I think this is almost like an Elseworlds kind of story that we're never, I don't know if we're ever gonna know the, the proper time frame. That for us to you know to put it into when 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 this would kind of take place, but I I don't I'm I'm assuming it has to be some an older Hal than we know, but I don't think I think it's just the style of art that makes him look older. That's what I. I think. love the art. Uh, I will say that uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, for being a comic that's supposed to visually represent the Star Trek characters as they look uh, being portrayed by the actors that they're being portrayed in in the current movie series. Um, they don't go too overboard with it, but these are still very visually those characters. Um, they didn't try too hard, though, to make them look exactly like it. Uh, so I did, did enjoy that. Love the art. Uh, and I got to say, I love the colors, too. These are the same, almost the same type of colors we saw in the... Um, New Guardian series towards the end, when it was like the more pastel kind of colors. You remember that? Yes. So these are definitely now the rings themselves. Uh, Ganthet's costume, Hal's costume, the rings themselves. Those are all the the traditional solid, more solid, bold colors that they're supposed to be. But when the power lights up, they're like this pastel color, and it's awesome. Um, especially when the, the the light is competing each each other, like when you, they do the whole uh, when they do the whole uh, what's the director's name? Um, oh, is this a lens flare? Yeah, the, <laughs> the lens flare thing. But it works with the rings because of the light and the sheer amount of power that they have. Um, so I like that they took that little cue to put those flares only when the lights are just like blinding. Uh, and flying all over the place, um, so that's really cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the 
I don't know much about the rest of this, like who General Chang is. I guess he's a person that's pre-existing yes. in the Star Trek universe, but I don't know anything about him. Um, yeah, Chang, and, Chang, Chang was the major... He was the Klingon played by Christopher Plummer in, I believe, uh, Six, in Star Trek Six, The Undiscovered Country. He was the... He was the bad guy, if you will, when they were trying to finally make peace with the Klingon Empire, who was basically plotting a, one of the one of the conspirators to plot against the uh, the peace between the Klingons and the uh, Federation. So as soon as I saw the name, that's what I I doubled. I went back and I looked, but I then, then I knew the name as soon as I heard it. So I guess that's who I think it is. So so that. So that was a, that was a nice touch throwing that in, especially in this you know this alternate universe, alternate timeline uh, version of Star Trek. I, I agree with you. The only character, the only character in the Enterprise who I don't think they necessarily did a really good job with was Yahura. I don't think she, I don't think she looked very Zoe Saldana like. Very, there's maybe one panel when she says pinpointing the source, maybe with her profile, she kind of looks. And maybe when she says the profile shots maybe looked like her when they like when the captain were being hailed that kind of looks like her too, but like yes. the shot when she's getting the ring I don't, I, when you get a really a good shot of her face I don't think that when when the uh, the positive side of the spectrum rings are flying through the Enterprise the woman in the blue is that what's her name from the second movie yes it's Carol Marcus okay. The one thing I would say about the rings, which t- it took me a while because they 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 made the conscious choice to make the rings slightly different colors, and that threw me off, especially on that spl- for originally that splash page when they're all getting their rings. It's like you had to had to go back and just double check that they're trying they they were exactly trying to imply that the three positive rings that were together basically all chose you know members of the crew because mm-hmm. of the fact that they made the con- they've made the conscious choice to draw to draw the violet ring to be pink because their uniforms are usually pink so they actually just cho- chose to make that one pink and the indigo one is actually more of a blue than an indigo and the and the blue is actually more like a teal so that kind of, that kind of threw me off a little that 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 decision making to make those rings slightly different colors uh, once you get used to it it, it makes sense but like on that splash page, it took me a while to figure. It's, it's like it made sense that sh- that Yohara would get the sapphire ring, but especially even in that splash page, that's not for a second. It's like, did they give her a red ring? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you then you figured, oh, that's supposed. I guess that's supposed to be violet or supposed to be pink, which is their version of the violet core. Um, but you know, traditionally violet is is they more or less stick it with the uh, indigo ring that goes to McCoy. So that so that took a little that took a little bit of of getting of getting used to, but uh, but I, I do like the likenesses. I think they did a really good job making the characters look very much like their movie counterparts. But not overly, right? Like you, there are a lot of comics that do this these days, but they go overboard with it. Like they try to make every single panel in which those actors, quote unquote, are are pictured look perfect. Whereas this one was like, as long as we're close. Well, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I mean, I think part of it's because they didn't go. A lot of their, a lot of their art on their faces is just very. It's not super, super detailed. You know what I mean. I yeah. mean, they're not going for a lot of lines and a lot of things on their faces, but, 
but I still think they certainly went they went out of their way to try to make they certainly made a concerted effort to make sure that when you really got a a really good shot, even if it was like a not necessarily a close up like with McCoy when he's looking at Ganth's body in sickbay, that you could tell that he's that he looks like Carl Urban even before you get to you know the scene when he's looking at the readouts about the news talking about the new species, but almost every almost every scene with these characters. You know, unless they're like a, a a profile shot from a, or like a quick turn of the head when they're in action or something. Almost all of them look like their movie counterparts. So I think, so I think they 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 did a very good job, and they did it probably the way you're you're supposed to. Not just to establish that we're talking about the you know the Abrams verse, uh, Star Trek, but just in general, just the fact that I think, yeah, I think they 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 did a good job with that. Um, I really enjoyed it though. No, it was good. It was it was a good first it's, it's issue. My, it's my number one this month, for sure. I think it's close for me. I I I love this art. I just I mean I not necessarily just with the actors, but like that last splash with Hal. I know Hal his face looks a little bit weird, but I still love it. I think that looks awesome. And plus, the story's interesting. Um, yeah. Unless, of course, except for the people that you know, again, the people that are the emotional spectrum haters probably won't probably enjoy the story or won't be as interested in the story. But but overall, it seems pretty cool, and it'll be it will be interesting to see what happens with related to the you know to the to the to the Black Lanterns and related to yes, where the other where the other quote unquote negative rings of the spectrum end up. So that's I. But I enjoyed it. I, I, I probably would put it number two, but it's a close number two this month to me. But it was really good. Okay. Uh, Sinestro 13? Sinestro 13 with the cover. Parallax released. Good old Parallax. Let's see if we get the creative team is Cullen Bunn, penciler Brad Walker, inker Drew Hennessy, colorist Jason Wright, letterer David Sharp. And let's see, do we need the... The cover was Walker, Henderson, and Wright. <laughs> Teen Titans Go! variant cover. <laughs> Jorge Corona. Assistant editor, Andrew Marino. Editor, Mike Cotton. And again, group editor, Eddie Barganza. So we pick up where we left off at last month with Sora getting her, ye- her green ring removed and her yellow ring, <laughs> not by choice, but mo- almost by default, and not having a choice. The yellow ring is on her finger, so she's wearing her Sinestro Corps member. And she's like, what did you do to me? You turned me into a monster like you. And, he, and she go, and Sinestro's like, no, I've, what are you talking about? I, I, I haven't done, I've done nothing of the sort, daughter. I basically, I've done what I needed to do to save you. And of course, she doesn't understand, like trying to placate, don't try to placate me, blah, 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 blah. And Sinestro's kind of going, well, believe what you will, but by severing your connection to the Green Lanterns, I, I have spared you from a grim fate. And as he's talking about that, and he, he kind of adds, and, and the nick of time, it would seem, because the little sphere holding the Green Lantern ring, Sora's ring, just kind of goes poof, and the Green, oh. Lan- <laughs> and the, and the Green Lantern, piff. piff, really, technically, yes. Piff, piff poof, bam! <laughs> Either way, it's gone, people. <laughs> it's dead, Jim. It, it's dead. <laughs> well, it's missing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, Captain. I needed my time. <laughs> we missed our opportunity last issue for that. <laughs> so sorry. You can't go any faster. That's right. I'm doing the best I can, Captain. I needed my time. 
And Sora just is like completely stunned because you know the ring. It's like, where did it go? What did you do with my ring? And and Sinestro is going, again, this had nothing to do with me. It's like the Green Lanterns have been targeted by an unknown enemy, and had I not taken your ring, had I not shattered you in, or shrouded you in my yellow light, you basically would have suffered the same fate. And you know Sora, who you know really doesn't look particular. Maybe it's maybe it's by a design because of the fact that she's a yellow lantern now and stunned and everything, but she really doesn't look good at all in these couple of pages. She's like, what are you talking about? It's like, how could you possibly have known this? And then, of course, Lissa shows up and kind of adds to it. It's like, you know, I've witnessed the fall of our hated foes and the ascension of the Sinestro Corps. You know, the Green Lanterns have been swept across the universe. Or the Green Lanterns have swept across the universe, spreading their light, yada, yada. But they basically, they, they were focused on their misguided mission. They were unaware that forces were aligning against them. Those forces have struck, and anyone wearing a green ring has vanished without a trace. And then we reiterated what we heard before about how this rapture of, you know, the Green Lanterns disappearing basically has created a void, which Sinestro and the Sinestro Corps has every intention of stepping into. And Sora's just like, you know, but what happened to them? They're my friends. It's like, are they dead? And Lissa's kind of picking up on a point that you and I talked about last issue is like, Lissa does not, she makes it clear that she really can't discern, you know, what happened to them, you know, and Sora kind of gets pissed. It's like, you knew this was, this, this was coming. You could have done something to prevent it. Sinestro's like, perhaps, with a really smug look on his face. I kind of, even, even smug for Sinestro, it's kind of funny. It's like, but I found it to be more judicious to make preparations of my own. <laughs> And she's like, you just saw this as an opportunity. You could have warned the Green Lanterns. And he goes, okay, do you really think they would have believed me if I warned them? Do you think they would have listened to me? And she goes, okay. Her silence kind of speaks volumes there because she knows he's right. And Sora's like, but my ring, if I'm not a Green Lantern, then what am I? And she goes, you're one of us. You know, together we can create order where there's only been chaos. We can make the universe a better place. And, and she goes back to her primary mission, up until this moment, anyway. It's like, what about the Korrigorians? I thought you were going to save our people. You know, how can you do that if you're trying to police all of known space? And Sinestro's being Sinestro was like, obviously, I'll need to redistribute resources, but I see no reason I can't do both. And Sora kind of, kind of like takes her, takes her shot in her dig at Sinestro. Like, it seems to me you can't even find out who the traitor in your own midst is. You know, and, and Sinestro's kind of like, well, don't worry, daughter, I have a plan. You know to deal with, you know, the sabotage and the destruction of the planet and all that, and all, and kind of just so so subtly reveals that, and the traitor, oh, the traitor's already been revealed, which is kind of interesting, because you kind of you kind of get, like, a little red herring there, because they show you Becca, almost implying that Becca was the traitor. Um, you have Sinestro kind of, like, you know, he has a, a, a few moments of, uh, almost like silence, he's kind of, like, reflecting upon what we already, what People have already been reading the book for a while now, which is that, you know, New Corrigor was just Necropolis. It was a penal, colon penal colony. You know, and basically when, when he claimed this world as New Corrigor, he planned to build something new from the filth. But, you know, but the treacherous axe threatened to strip New Corrigor from my grasp. The self-destruct mechanism has been activated. You know, and so basically he's just kind of like, it's kind of like Ted bringing readers up to snuff if they hadn't been following it out and just kind of letting us know exactly where his mindset is about you know, how he's certainly less than thrilled that his idea for building New Corrigor and his 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 the first steps towards building his his grand new vision of New Corrigor have already been kind of sabotaged. 
Becca shows up at this moment and he, she has to speak to him. And, you know, Becca goes, you know, it's kind of become clear to me why you offered me one of your rings. It's like, you know, you, you, you just wanted to add me to your arsenal. You know, World World is one weapon and you see me as another. And Sinestro is kind of like, uh, is, is that what it is? You know, have I seized control of you? It's like, you use love as a weapon, but you must take care lest you cut yourself. And she's like, I'm a new god. I've, I'll not be another armament for you to flaunt another symbol of your strength. And she goes, and Sinestro just stops, and he's like, my dear, soon enough I will show you that my strength has nothing to do with the weapons at my disposal. At this moment, Korogor starts, you know, basically starts, the first signs of its essential self, essentially its self-destruction start becoming visible to everyone. Uh, energy starts breaking out from the sur- from within the surf, you know, below the surface, as making its way to the core, uh, from the core making its way to the surface. Let's try that again. So so the energy now is bubbling to the surface from the core and ripping through the outer shell of the planet. You know, Becca kind of, she echoes what Sora said before about, you know, it's not a sign of weakness to evacuate your people. But, you know, Sinestro's like, of course not, but saving them from this threat holds so much more significance. And Becca's like, I I could kill him. It would be so easy. (laughs) One quick sword stroke and I could forget that I ever encountered him. But yet there's something that compels, you know, Becca to just follow Sinestro instead of doing that. Um, Becca kind of, you know, tries to insist to Sinestro, it's like, your people need you. You know, the core must have reached critical mass. There's no way to stabilize it now. We have to get the Korrigorians off, you know, and, you know, Sinestro appears to, uh, it makes a construct of himself and appears it was like, I suspect there are those among you who think the new Korgor is lost, but, you know, I want to assure you this is not the case. You know, control your fear and trust in me, and, you know, new Korgor will survive, yada, yada, thanks to me. And, and, and Sora's like, a, it's like, what are you up to, you you old fool? You're going to get everybody killed. Um, so, so uh, excuse me, Sinestro and Becca end up at the core of new Korgor as it's beginning to self-destruct, and Sinestro, who, of course, now we get a little more insight into Sinestro, that despite all his taming of Parallax, we find out that basically Parallax has still kind of been, it's kind of, still kind of been that itch that just has been urged, or been urging Sinestro to scratch it all this time, and Sinestro kind of has been having more and more time, more and more of a difficult time containing and wrestling uh, Parallax from regaining control of, of their union. So basically he he releases Parallax as his last, you know, his last moment of control. He releases Parallax and his, as he phrases it with his final act of dominance, he puts he sends Parallax into the core of New Corridor to bind Parallax to it and the power of fear, the power of Parallax is going to basically stabilize the planet and prevent it from self-destructing. So at this now Sinestro has done this in front of Becca, and Sinestro, who is weak at the moment from from his sacri- basically his sacrifice, just tells Becca, you know, did, like didn't I tell you I would you know demonstrate true strength? And she goes, now Becca, you possess the weapon that could destroy me, the secret, the knowledge that I am without parallax. So use it or do not wisely. And now you know, you know, Umaral and Sora are talking on the planet of. I'm on the surface now that everything's, you know, the, the, the danger has passed. And Sora's just talk, kind of talking like, you know, we're all pieces and just some cosmic game board from him. 
And if he finds that he's not in the position to win, he's like a, he's like a child to just smash the game and start over again. So I assume we're in, we're in you know we're on War World. It looks like it looks like we're in War World. But either way, we're in Sinestro's chamber and he's having a drink. And Lissa, you know, kind of walks towards him and she kind of goes, "You have to." So what will you do now? Now that you realize that I that I betrayed you, that I was the one who arranged the meltdown, and Sinestro kind of like gets really pissed at her. It's like, now that I know now, he goes, don't insult me, Lissa. I've known all along that you were the traitor. Just, you know, just as I have always known why you plotted against me. And basically, Lissa kind of makes it clear that she all, that she plotted against Sinestro and will continue to plot, in, or will plot again and against Sinestro in the future when she thinks that uh, basically the plot, the plotting is for his own good. That if she thinks he's going off course and being Steer and is taking himself in, a, in an improper direction. That basically she's going to do whatever needs to do, she needs to do to focus his attention back in the bigger picture. So now we kind of have a scene which I actually didn't like at all. I mean, I know I kind of understand why they did it, but I kind of had an issue with it. That essentially there are three yellow lanterns that are set up as uh, scapegoats to be to be the traitors. Kind of to, make, to be made examples of by Sinestro and to prove that basically anybody who's not loyal to Sinestro basically is going to suffer. So those three lan- yellow lanterns get killed by Sinestro. He, uh, he gives the rallying cry to the core. It's like, you know, right, now is our time. The Green Lanterns have abdicated their post. We shall take their place. We shall provide the universe with the protection, the order they so badly need. Your, your sector assignments go forth and enforce my will. And we have a very weird, interesting moment with Lissa and, because she doesn't quite understand why Sinestro kept her secret, you know, why, she, you know, why Sinestro let her live, and Sinestro kind of, you know, basically, at the end of the day, he just says, you know, at the very, he kind of respects her, he admires, you know, her dedication and her love for him, and for at least now, at least still for now, you know, you serve a purpose. And they embrace in a kiss, and when they kiss, it's, you know, basically all this, all the writing in the Book of Parallax, which has been engraved and tattooed on her body, lights up where they kiss. And that ends the issue. Would you like to hear a dad joke, even from a guy that's not a dad? <laughs> Is it related to Sinestro? <laughs> yeah. Also related to this, this issue. Go ahead. New Corridor has a new core. I go. <laughs> it says it in the title New Core Agar <laughs> Parallax is part of the, the, the new core for New Core Agar <laughs> we just got to figure out what uh, Agar means <laughs> in whatever the Latin version of Corridorian language is <laughs> oh awesome uh, I like the art uh, yeah the art was good uh, I think it. Uh, the more and more we read this title, the more and more I think the art works perfectly for a book about fear lanterns. Um, in particular, probably the best page was the splash where uh, Sinestro releases Parallax. Parallax looks freaking awesome right there. Yep. Um, the rest of it, I mean, uh, him commandeering her as a uh, his daughter as a as a yellow lantern. I mean, that makes sense, uh, especially with his overinflated sense of right and necessity to keep what's his, what's his. Um, 
I was a little off put like you by the sacrifice of those lanterns, but then again, they've already set that precedent by him sacrificing his other lanterns with the self destruct of the ring. Um, and again, another point about the art that I wanted to make was I particularly like the double page splash, uh, but the top half of the double page splash where it shows um, uh, when Sinestro says, you know, you're one of us, and it shows uh, a, a a good portion of the Sinestro core. Yes. That, that was a pretty cool little uh, thing. If, if, if we had that piece of art colored without those word bubbles, I'd make it the, uh, the cover image on Facebook. <laughs> it looks pretty cool. I mean, related to the... Yeah, I mean, so, let's put it this way. Based on who Sinestro is to begin with, we, we, know, it's, we know it's true that it's kind of, it's kind of been established that you know, he'll throw anybody to the wolves if it's in his best interest. So it's not like it's uncharacteristic for Sinestro. The only difference between this sacrifice, the only difference between this sacrifice and some of the others is sometimes what he was doing. He was, we- and I guess you can make the case he's doing the same thing that he's weeding out the weak, that he weeded out people who he thought was were not loyal to him before, and he weeded out the less important of, of the Yellow Lanterns to sacrifice them before. And these characters, while they probably, obviously to him, they can't be very important, but still, essentially, they are being they are being sacrificed be just because he needs a scapegoat, and also because if somebody pointed one of them pointed out, you know, the the hammerhead shark looking guy is like, I admit I questioned some of your decisions, but that is all. So the fact that using him as an example, because of the fact that he, I guess, he openly, you know, dared to speak against Sinestro, not not trying to rally the claws against him, but just daring to, you know, raise an opposing opinion that it kind of opened the door for him there. So that may be the ultimate reason why he was picked out, because just so there's no voice of dissent. So, but, yeah, I can't I can't honestly tell you, other than the fact that it's weird, and, like, I'm glad you had the same reaction to it, but it's, it is weird. It's just for some reason I got to that point, and it's like, wow, that's really disappointing that he did that. Not surprising, it's in, it's, but maybe we need we need that because again, even though Sinestro is the star of this book, we we, we can't. And kind of like Sora summed it up nicely. It's like we can't we can't we're kind of, even as readers we're kind of like all a, a pawn in his game that you know we're all chess pieces in his cosmic game. So that we we can't get too caught up thinking Sinestro is something other than he's not because when we do, then we then we have to have a few moments like this to kind of bring it all back to reality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a, a balancing act, you know, which gives him the greater gain. I, you, you, you said to weed out the weak, the weak members of his core. Well, see, when he did that, when he sabotaged the rings, it was because he had just come back to the, to the, to the Sinestro core, and you know, Arkillo and them had been recruiting yeah, while in true. his absence, yep. so he was getting rid of people he hadn't approved. But now he presumably has a hand in recruiting everybody who's been added to the core since. So him sacrificing more lanterns after the point where he's been involved in the selection process, uh, even tangentially, didn't really make much sense to me. But then again, when you set up the fact that, you know, I questioned some of your motives, it... In Sinestro's mind, are three lanterns, even if he was involved in their selection, worth or as beneficial to him as the benefits he would get by sacrificing them and showing the core that he means business? Right, and it's a power, it's a power game. And, yeah. and he kind of and the and what he says to the Sinestro core during these two panels pretty much sums it up. He says, "You know, there are those among you who think I'm unfit to lead. Perhaps some of you have." 
entertain the notion of staging a coup. Let this be a reminder as to who you are trifling with, and give yourself pause to consider from how you would like your days to end. So basically, that's that's the real reason why he's sacrificing them. Not not just not just to say, look, yes, I found out who the traitor were traitors were, so people don't keep going on. Who the hell was the traitor? That, so the, to end that mystery, but also to basically quell any kind of uh, uprising that might be brewing, to make it clear that you know you don't want to f with me. You know this is. It's my way or the highway, and if it's not my way, you're going to be dead. <laughs> so, yeah. Otherwise, I don't really have much to say about it. I did enjoy it, though. Yeah, it was good. It was it was good. Anything else? Um, no, the only thing, like I said before, I think... I don't. I don't like the way... I don't think Sora is being drawn particularly well, but again, I'm not entirely sure if that's all just the style that's... Um, or whether it's a conscious choice to make her look a little less than she used to because of the fact that now that she's got a yellow ring and she's not quite what she, what she was either. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's a, a decision or just, you know, just the way, you know, just the way she, she's drawn, you know, with, uh, with Walker. So I'm not entirely sure, but that's about it. I do like, I think it's a, re- I think it's really, I think it's a really good book and I kind of like the way, not surprising how we have we have beats that are kind of carrying forward in Sinestro and Lost Army, which would make sense since Bun is writing both. So I kind of like that there, that the fate of the Lost, even though we know the Lost Army's fate is going to be tra- you know, is going to uh, factor into uh, Hal and his missions at some point too. But at least for now, it's like you know the the re- the removal of the Green Lanterns from the universe basically are are having a, a absolute dramatic issue in, issue out, strong effect in Sinestro and Lost Army. So it makes it's kind of good then the Bun's writing both books. All right. You want to close us out? I will close us out. If you would like to contact us, email us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Please visit our website, lanterncast.com. Get some the latest news, get some Ring Cyclopedia episodes, movie reviews, you name it, we got it. Uh, more information about the Green Lantern 75th anniversary. Summer celebration. Hashtag GL 75th, correct? That's right. Uh, as they hear this... It might be officially over, yes. The official celebration is over, um, but we are still doing Green Lantern 75th stuff uh, throughout this year. Um I am working on a couple of things, uh, but especially one thing in particular, Mark knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I gotta get you. Um, but but uh, I've you know, I, first of all, I haven't gotten everything I need, and second of all, even if I did, it, it's a more challenging editing process for me uh, because of all the components to it. Uh, so it's taking a whole lot more time than I originally anticipated. So that will. Hopefully be out in August, but uh, tentatively, uh, you know, at least the first part or first and second parts will be out in the 2015 calendar year. Absolutely. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook, hashtag GeoCast to locate us on all of those. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, so please find us there. Leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Please. This means you. 
That's right. We need. We still really need some good some some feedback. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. We know you're out there, and I know we took a little bit a little bit of a brief sabbatical there when my back was out, but we're back. Uh, and we put out some pretty awesome episodes, I think, uh, especially with that Jackie Nodell thing and, you know, the Heart of Darkness and, and all those things we, we've recently released. So uh, definitely shoot us an email or, or send us a voicemail, uh, and uh, we would love to address that kind of stuff on the air. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll talk to you uh, next, uh, next time. And uh, next episode, should I say it? And we're recording it on Wednesday. Yeah, you so can. Definitely, definitely yeah, you, you, yeah, you can say it at this point. I, I, it's only it's only an issue saying it when it's like a long time away from recording it in case something comes up and it's not the next episode. <laughs> then, then it becomes a problem. Okay, guys, next episode. Finally, freaking doing it. We are covering the power of Ion, the first storyline in the Kyle Rayner series when Kyle Rayner first got the power of Ion and became a near godlike being. The Ion, the, the Ion incarnation story. that didn't suck. Love that story. And Jim joins us. Yes. It'll be an old home week. That's right. All right, guys. We'll talk to you uh, next week. And uh, power of Ion, baby. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.